know what really makes us mad? Is wasting money on CDs with only one or two good songs. Yeah. Tell them about punk! What's up, posers? Welcome to Punk Lotto Pod. I am your co-host, Justin Hensley. I am your other co-host, Dylan Hensley. And this is the show where we... Mm, mm, this is going to be a different one. So, uh, normally... <laughs> normally, this is the show where we assign our guests a year, and they choose an one punk, hardcore, emo, etc. album from that year for us to talk about. But today, we have our very first... Patreon album selection. Yes, that's right. We finally got someone. We finally tricked someone into giving us some money. <laughs> yes, we have had this tier on our Patreon since we started it, where if you put your money down, uh, you get to pick what we talk about. And we've given we've given people the option that that will be a main episode. So hopefully you'll listen to this and be inspired to sign up for our patreon but no one took took that offer um <laughs> and so we dropped the price and immediately yeah like got, got nabbed so <laughs> like instantaneously like i put it up put it it was originally 25 i knocked it down to 10 dollars, and then it was gone <laughs> like immediately uh and it was snagged up by our friend past guest uh dave brown dave brown uh runs oklahoma lefty and he also has a podcast called sacred panels uh, very good comic-based podcast. Uh, Oklahoma Lefty's a great music blog. Uh, I think he's done some like recordings involving that po- that blog as well. And so uh, we basically are like, hey, Dave, you know, you picked it. Now tell us what you want us to talk about. And then he sent a list of 19 albums. <laughs> <laughs> I think he had a hard time uh, deciding. So we kind of used a little bit of uh, a classic rubric for deciding rubric by using a number generator uh we each we each picked one with a number generator and so and then i gave those options to him (laughs) and then he was still like well i like this but i don't like this and so then i was like i think we'll go with the one we're talking about today because it seems like it's a more important record to you so actually in this podcast here you will hear from Dave himself. He's actually going to record something and send it over to us. Now, if you are want to do this, you don't have to do that either. You don't have to record it and send it. Though if you wanted to, you could be a guest. You know, it's one of the, it's literally up to you. If you wanted to write something and we'll read it on the show, we 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 definitely want to hear from you as to why you're picking the records that you're picking. Yeah. I mean, even if it's just to punish us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we know some friends who would do that. <laughs> But yeah, so it, it this is our first time, so I'm, I wanted to make sure it was a good one. So I did some research, and I'm hoping there's a lot there. There's a lot more there than I anticipated, but I can get into that later. You can go to that Patreon, and it is patreon.com slash punklottopod, and then the idea of the 10, it's a $10 right now, that will stay, it'll probably stay that way for a little bit. Um, it's We only offer one a month, just because it's, in order to do guests, we wouldn't really want to do more than one a month anyway. Um, Dave currently has it on lockdown, so we'll see if he relinquishes it for next month, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dave's, <laughs> Dave's picks on a monthly yeah. basis. <laughs> but, uh, though, if you don't want to spend that much money, you can, uh, give us a dollar over there and get access to all of our bonus audio. We do one bonus audio a week. This week we just we just recorded it a uh, deep dive on the year 2011, which is in association with the record that we're talking about today. Yes, did a lot. Did a chart dive, good old fashioned rate your music chart meandering uh, yeah. conversation. A lot to <laughs> talk about though. Yeah, it's very dense year for picks, so very exciting. And yeah, that's punk lot of, uh, that's Patreon punk lot of pod. We have all the social medias, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you know, all that good stuff, at Pod. Dylan's got a sub-stack that he... Sub-stack? You just follow it. Whatever. Yeah. Sign up. You'll get one if you get one. (laughs) 
Uh, email address, punkladdabot.gmail.com, and a voicemail, 202-688-PUNK. Google Voice had to tell me, it's the yearly, uh, you haven't used your voicemail line in, a, in six months, <laughs> we'll take it away from you unless you use it, so I had to text myself and then text back to it to make it, keep it for another six months. <laughs> uh, we mainly prior, primarily use it for uh, January, for best of the year stuff, so. But yeah. you can leave us a voicemail. Mm-hmm, you can. Dave, you can leave us a voicemail there. Well, no, we've already sent his recording by the time this episode goes yeah. up. But um, before we get into the album that Dave picked, the record he chose came out in the year 2011, so we kind of want to do more of a... Like, we just did a chart dive on the year 2011, but we decided we would also look at what the first two pages of results are. And also, something a little bit more related to our album today. Now, who'd have thought... After all, something as simple as rock and roll would save us all. Now who'd have thought that after all, it was rock and roll. So, 2011, in our deep dive, we discovered that it was still very much an emo revival time period, but also, like, personally, on our kind of way out of that kind of stuff, the orgcore sound was still pretty strong. Yeah. A lot of atmospheric sludge and hardcore stuff happening, Mm -hmm. I think. And I think think looking at the charts will kind of touch on all of those things. Yeah. On on the first two pages as well, so... Yeah, um, Andrew Jackson Jihad, or AJJ as they're known now, released Knife Man, the last best AJJ record. <laughs> the newest record was pretty good, but it was also a protest album, so it's not going to age well. Uh, but Knife Man is a very strong record. Yeah, they still play quite a few of these songs. Mm-hmm. Um, Hate Rain on Me is kind of a classic at this point. Uh, Skate Park. Which of the Bird songs do they normally play? Is it Big Bird? It's Big Bird. Yeah. Yep, Big Bird gets played pretty regularly. Another big record would be Law Disputes Wildlife. Out of the Law Disputes stuff you've listened to, did you listen to this one? I feel like you probably did. Maybe. I, may I don't know. I don't remember. Not it's really their most popular record. Yeah, I didn't really like Law Disputes, so I don't think I ever really got into this one. I probably listened to it once, but um, I did listen to that Death Heaven record. Oh, yeah? Worth mentioning since they're... New record that, just came out. Did that inspire your Jeff Heaven tweet <laughs> <Yeah>. yesterday? <laughs> uh, I definitely listened to Roads to Judah, Black Gaze, post-rock, post-metal, sort of screamo-ish. I dug it then, but I don't know. I didn't I didn't really get into that band the way everyone else did. Joyce Manor released their self-titled album. I don't think that album was as popular in 2011 as it has begun become retroactively popular thanks to Joyce Manor's kind of like sustained attention and uh, critical praise and I like this era of Joyce Manor the best the very early stuff though to be honest I haven't dove too deep on the later era stuff so you know there could be some good stuff there that I'm just missing yeah I never got into Joyce Manor I saw this album cover all the time on Tumblr but um I don't know that I ever listened to it I think I heard some songs and was like yeah it's all right and I wasn't interested in that at that time and then they got really popular (laughs) so i was like oh whatever that's your band now everybody else (laughs) blink 182 released neighborhoods is that is that supposed to be a bad record someone was talking about it just recently yeah it's the it's before matt skiba yeah it's the comeback record 
trying to, I think, trying in a lot of ways to respond to what punk, pop punk, had done in the <laughs> intervening years. Mark and Tom are both on the record, but from what I've heard, it's like super like stitched together. <laughs> like it was like trading tracks. Like they they really did not work on this record together. <laughs> uh, a massive record that's kind of actually stood up the test of time. Uh, Touche Amore's Parting the Sea Between Brightness and Me. Big deal the year it came out. Uh, was this the first full length? I guess to beat a dead horse is considered a full length, but I also remember when it was considered a demo. So <laughs> it got released, probably remastered and re-released before Parting the Sea came out. But like Parting the Sea was the first like recorded as a as a record record by them. Yeah, it's the Death Wish record. I loved to beat a dead horse. Like really, really loved that record. I remember when this came out and being kind of disappointed and being like well there they go (laughs) uh really on a downer down note on this on this chart so far Uh, i mean i think i do genuinely love knife man that's a great record i i think we're in the minority on this touche amore record so uh, i don't don't take our this is the this is the i've seen it called the wave this is one of those records that's part of that Mm. melodic hardcore kind of thing that happened here in the early 2010s mm-hmm. and fucked up release david comes to life uh not as well regarded but actually might be more well known huh interesting uh than chemistry of common life and hidden world yeah this is probably the biggest point that they were at for the general music industry yeah this is the this is the tommy record right is it i don't know yeah it's the rock opera Bomb the music industry released Vacation. These are really not our records. <laughs> what were we listening to in 2011? Oh yeah, we talked about a lot of them. On the- yeah, <laughs> they just weren't as popular. Pianos become the teeth. Released the lack long after. That's like the other one. Ugh. It's part of the wave. I call it the long lackluster. <laughs> I didn't like that one. And then they changed their sound into sounding like a Christian and contemporary rock band. Yeah. And- don't know how that happened the men released leave home that was they were part of that like post white stripes garage rock wave who else is in that wave mets are in that wave i think yeah i guess post japan droids too oh title fight release shed that's part of the wave as well not for me (laughs) that album cover i've seen that so many times (laughs) algernon Mm mm-hmm Put out parrot flies, and we mentioned this being kind of our tail end of our dedicated interest in the emo revival. But I remember enjoying this record. I enjoy. I liked Cad Cadwell Adder, like, Al Cad. <laughs> <laughs> the Wonder Years released Suburbia. I've given you all, and now I am nothing. It was a really big deal when it came out. Uh, we talked about them briefly on the Patreon when, in reference to Fireworks' connection to them. Um, it's probably the most well-known, though actually it looks like Greatest Generation is more well-known, surprisingly. And then No Closer to Heaven was sold in Target. So, <laughs> But Suburbia was kind of like the peak Wonder Years. On the next page, Trap Them put out Darker Handcraft. Hmm. Uh, so there's there's your crust. Lots of crust going on in 2011. Yeah, all the hardcore bands switched to being crust bands. You know, it's funny people talk about people talk about the hard the melodic hardcore wave and the the emo revival the whatever wave of emo you want to call it. No one talks about the crust revival that definitely was a thing. <laughs> no one calls it crust revival. I guess because crust bands have always existed, but there was definitely yeah. a shift of the. The cultural window of punk and hardcore framed crust bands <laughs> yeah, for a solid, like, five years. It was the post-Cursed crowd. You know, all the bands that were borrowing from Cursed were also like, hey, Cursed has some crust, too. And so they started borrowing that from Cursed's influences. 
Uh, here's a record that's really cool. Uh, Wild Flag, uh, which is basically a super group. It's Carrie Brownstein from Slater Canny, uh, Mary Timoney from now X-Hex Helium, I guess is probably her most well-known band she was part of. Uh, Janet Weiss. Is Janet Weiss also in Slater Canny? Yes, she was. Uh, I believe she's the one who's left the band. Yeah, she was the drummer who left. Mm-hmm. And Rebecca Cole who was in the in the minders don't really know her very well it's a good record though it's a really cool kind of like mix-up of what helium was doing and what slater candy were doing it's like the i mean they had a couple singles but in 2011 as well but they didn't really do much else this is like a one-off like super group thing but neat record i always get wild flag mixed up with that band wild moth really do you remember them it's just the name i guess but yeah i used to get them mixed up with isn't there another band with white in their name? There's White Flag, but that's also an old band. Yeah. Uh, Live the Dream by Ramshackle Glory. There's the, your the other ubiquitous, folk entries. The ubiquitous Pat the Bunny. Yeah. Uh, Defeater, Empty Days and Sleepless nice, Nights. That's a good one. What we used to... Uh, <laughs> nice effort, guys. <laughs> <laughs> For those who remember the uh, buzz grinder. No one remembers that. <laughs> No, no one remembers that. Was that Jay Donito's joke? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In case you didn't know, you take a picture of a house, or like a pretty... It was almost always houses, wasn't it? It was always just like... It was always It was always just something that was minimal effort. Yeah. For an album cover. Yeah, it was just like, it took a picture, and that's yeah. the album cover. And it's and, not even uh, like a very remarkable picture, usually. I think it became a running joke that houses were almost always the thing. And the joke was basically nice effort, guys. And it was, uh, we named our EP after that joke because we put a house on the front. <laughs> yeah. There's a reason no one liked us. Yeah. <laughs> Basement, I wish I could stay here. Uh, that was a, that was a big deal at the time. They were a, Br- were Basement a British band or were they a Boston band? Am I mixing up Basement with Bangers? Basement oh, they're from- was the UK band, yeah. I think Bangers were too. Yeah, Basement UK emo band. They were kind of like the foreign exchange student for the emo revival. They were sent over here to be (laughs) big. Uh, Frank Turner. Dave will probably appreciate this one a lot. Released England Keep My Bones. Is this the most well-known Frank Turner record? I feel like it's the one I saw the most. It's the album cover that comes to mind when I think of Frank Turner records. Yeah. Um, Looks like, yeah, it's probably the most popular one according to Rate Your Music. It's not necessarily... Yeah, it's not the most critically acclaimed one. Love Iron Song is the the most acclaimed one. Personally, he never really did much for me. I have I I might save this a little bit later, but like I have kind of some I have a hard time getting into singer songwriters, but uh, I'll talk about it with our record. Uh, there's one you liked though, Ampere. Mm-hmm. I love Ampere. We say that <laughs> anytime Ampere shows up. So yeah, Like Shadows is a killer record. Super fast screamo just great will killingsworth enough said mm-hmm. oathbreaker released maelstrom uh oathbreaker i feel like we're a bigger deal they i feel like death haven kind of stole oathbreaker's thunder they also went in a different direction than oathbreaker Ugh, well, okay story so far released under soil and dirt there's that is kind of what pop punk was doing in 2011 uh, this is a little after the defend pop punk sound but like Loosely associated with that sound. Kind of... I don't know if this is as much easy core, but kind of looped in there. Uh, Weekend Nachos put out Worthless. <laughs> I feel like you had to be there for Weekend Nachos. Yeah. I think I say Weekend Nachos whenever they come up and they're not they're not a touchstone band. <laughs> I don't know. No. Maybe they are. <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of some big stuff. If you want to hear us talk about the rest of the stuff that came out in 2011 check out our patreon over there but do we want to talk about this other stuff or should we intro the album first let's intro the album first and then we'll talk about its connection to that okay for sure all right well we didn't give dave a year we let him have free reign and uh then he had too many choices so (laughs) he gave us John Moreland and the Dust Bowl Souls, Everything the Hard Way. 
What's up, posers? My name is Dave, and I am the one who decided to drop a solid 10 spot to have the boys talk about the record that I wanted them to talk about, which in this case happened to be John Moreland and the Dust Bowl Souls' Everything the Hard Way. Now, of course, because I am challenging, I didn't send them just one record. No, 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 no. I had to send them a few So I sent them a nice handy email with a bunch to choose from, uh, you know, thinking, hey, just pick one that sounds good to you. And of course, I had some some of my favorites in there and had to show some local local boys uh, some some uh, attention and some love. And by local, I'm referring to Oklahoma because that's where I live. And I think it was Dylan decided, you know what, let's just do this old school punk lotto pod way. And they threw them in a blender, and they picked one. Actually, they ended up picking two. And um, they decided to go ahead and go with this album, uh, Everything the Hard Way, by John Moreland and the Dust Bowl Souls, which is a tremendous album. If you have never heard this, and you only know John Moreland through his singer-songwriter, folk, alt-country stuff, then you are missing out. This is definitely an alt-country, more punk rock record than his other solo material. Another thing a lot of people don't know is that Mr. Moreland actually has more than just five full-length albums. He recorded two with his band, the Black Gold Band, and then one with the Dust Bowl Souls. Interestingly, and I actually forgot to mention this tidbit in a uh, brand new podcast that I'm putting together. Um, Our first episode happened to be about John Moreland. I knew I was going to have to talk about Mr. Moreland for for this. And I figured, why not do him as my first episode of uh, One Band, Five Songs? Check that out. It's over on the Spotify. Anyway, uh, basically the same guys who played on Everything the Hard Way also played on John Moreland's quintessential perfection album his tour de force his oh my god um i forgot what it's called i did this when i recorded my episode too i forgot when it's um the best of something it's your um magnum opus magnum opus his magnum opus in the throes it's uh to borrow something I said in my my episode, if we're talking the Dave Meltzer five-star scale, In the Throes is a six-star album. Uh, now, everything the hard way, I would give four and a half, four and three quarters. It really has everything you want out of John Moreland. It's got songs that rock. It's got a few songs with him just plucking away on his acoustic guitar. And it has his sweet, sweet voice and, you know, just heart-wrenching lyrics. And he he just dives into subjects in such a beautiful and perfect way. I I can't say enough good things about him. I mean, I have in the past said he's probably the single best songwriter alive today. It's certainly based on this album, In the Throes, and the follow-up to In the Throes, High in Tulsa Heat, based on you know that 2011 through 2015. I would stand by that opinion. He's had a couple other records since then. Well, one of them is very, very good. And one of them's okay. So if you want to hear more about uh, about old Johnny Boy, head over to my podcast, talk all about him. Uh, but that's not why you're here. And I do have to ask a question. If you are hearing this episode, that means you have plopped down and are a patron. You have joined the Patreon for the Punk Lotto podcast. And if you are a patron, are you also a poser? Gentlemen, can you answer that question? Thanks for letting me be part of your show. I really enjoy it. Always enjoy what you guys do and uh, hope you are well. Hope the post-apocalyptic world is treating you nicely. And Dylan, have a safe, safe move. As you uh, go out to Cali, I think I'll go listen to some LL Cool J. Take care, guys. I'm a hard, no common sense. The world, it just don't work like this. And I'm Yeah.
basics on this real quick. Uh, John Moreland is a Tulsa, Oklahoma-based singer-songwriter. Uh, this was released on Okie Tone Records in 2011. Person on this record is John Moreland on guitar and vocals, Mike Williams on bass and vocals, and Steve Walden on drums, and was produced by the band and Ryan Wallace. So according to the Oklahoma Music Archives wiki, because there's a whole wiki for that, uh, this lineup existed from 2010 to 2011. So this is the only thing this band has released. Though that being said, John Moreland has a lot of records. Yes. So, singer-songwriter, primarily. He he had another band, which I think even may have the same members. I believe it's called John Moreland and the Black Gold Band. And it, it's very much in the same tone as this record. So this record is a more rootsy, Americana, heartland rock record. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would call it an alt-country record. Yeah, I don't know. I don't... I mean, there there's alt-country elements, for sure. Yeah, it could be alt-country. It's also what, I, what we've re- lovingly referred to as heartland rock. Heartland. Heartland punk, even. Yeah, he has punk connections, which I'll get into in a little bit. But, like... So, I guess this is where we can talk about it. this record's relationship to 2011 in the country and country-adjacent genres. So we, we kind of pulled up the charts for 2011 country influence, you know, country records and records influenced by country. So that gives you a pretty wide scope of the type of things that are going on in the, the landscape that John Moreland was operating in. So I guess the biggest name, uh, Wilco released The Whole Love that year. Wilco is alternative alt-country. Uh, this is... This one's kind of tagging as indie rock. I guess earlier Wilco was more alt-country than the later stuff. Yeah. But, be, you know, uh, the, the Uncle Tupelo connection probably is a bigger influence on John Moreland's sound on this record than Wilco specifically. Yeah. The the top four on here are barely country. Um, yeah. I mean, the Decemberists are on there. The King is Dead. My Morning Jacket. Circuital. Yeah. There's a there's a Bill Callahan record, um, also known as Smog. Um, oh, he mostly okay. releases records under his own name, but um, yeah. Uh, so 2011 country, if you're excluding mainstream radio country, was very folky. Mm-hmm. Gillian Welch mm-hmm. has a very folky looking record. Civil Wars. The Civil Wars is like basically just a folk record. Yeah. Yeah, barely country. I mean, there's a little bit of... Did they do that with T-Bone? I think so, yeah. So there's that, his influence. There's a Lucinda Williams record that I'm not very familiar with, but that would be very... That would be pretty close. That and then the Drive-By Truckers record would actually Mm -hmm. be very close to uh, the record that we're talking about. Um, As well as uh, The Horrible Crows put out there, which is the Brian Fallon... uh, solo trial run <laughs> more heartlandy americana a lot of soul influence and jason isbell yeah this is a time period where like alt country folky stuff was really big in the left of the dial scene you know like basically like your independent radio stations were playing a lot of this kind of music i don't know it's interesting i wonder why that was such a big sound, especially, like, at this point. Like, Steve Earle released a record that year, I'll Never Get Out of This World Alive, which yeah. I want to say Steve Earle was a big influence on John Moreland as well. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Um, there's an Alison Krauss record. I mean, she's potentially she's closer and more to bluegrass. Well, that's kind of the thing. So, like, America, Americana as a genre really formulates in the 90s. And you've got some breakthroughs. You're, you've got your wallflowers and, and stuff like that in the 90s. And then, oh brother, where art thou? Introduces people to bluegrass and old-timey music. And you have this whole wave of, like, Alison Krauss being really successful. And you have, like, tons of bluegrass, newgrass, and very traditionally focused folk and country-ish music for the next, like, 10 years. <laughs> and when you combine that with the fact that post-9-11, country music is just 
a fucking shit show <laughs> on the radio of just ass-kicking, wannabe ass-kicker douche bros that, that, country radio, that country radio has not recovered from. I mean, it's there have been little little pockets of like, all right, that's decent, but by and large, it's it's uh, it's dead. <laughs> so there's this, and I feel like indie rock kind of does this thing. I mean, there's like there's the baroque pop kind of like folksy twee kind of stuff that's big in the in, in indie rock for a long time, and then you really start to get some singer-songwriter types like Amos Lee, Ray LaMontagne, Iron and Wine getting successful. And I feel like that's kind of where Americana country folky music has this has another big cultural breakthrough. Because if you're looking for a more authentic sounding country music, this is where you'll find it. It's not it's not coming out of Nashville. It's coming With from more... everywhere else. With more independent, liberal, leftist, like, uh, mindsets, too, yeah. than the mainstream country scene. So, uh, I feel like it is. It's just more people going, like, I like country music. I grew up on cl- country music. I hate what's on country radio right now because of the type of audience that they're appealing to. So, that's why you get stuff like Deer Tick. Or, you mm-hmm. know, like, I was looking at this list, and I was like, shit, I was still working at Barnes & Noble. And these albums all came out that year. The Low Anthem... Middle Brother and Blind Pilot. They all came out that year. They were all in-store plays at my store. Like, you know, we played them a lot. I played them a lot because it was like, hey, I can like this kind of stuff and not want to rip my hair out. It's also worth noting Chuck Reagan released Covering Ground in 2011. Yeah. And John Moreland comes from punk music, an extension of punk music, which I'm saving so much goodness for later. Um <laughs> Before we really get into that record. So John has, to me, has always been more associated with your Chuck Reagan types. Yeah. Like your Chuck Reagans, your John Snodgrasses, your Chad Prices, your, you know, a lot of those guys. <clears throat> your uh, Luceros. Yeah. Was there a Lucero in the 2011? No. It's like the one off year. Between them and Drive-By Truckers, it's always like an alternating. They take turns. So, like, he comes from punk music, he's associated with other punk musicians, but he's also part of that revival thing that was going on in the punk scene, where, like, all the all the punks who grew up in the South started playing, uh, you know, country music, basically. Folk music. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned... There's some... Well, there's... So, uh, another thing that's kind of happening in the, in the Americana world, um, there's a lot of Roots Rocky stuff that is very much in line with this record... Sally Ford and the Sound Outside has a record that came out that I, I distinctly remember hearing on WNCW. Uh, <laughs> I remember seeing Sally Ford open for the Avett Brothers at a New Year's Eve concert um, in Asheville, which, if you understood all of those things <laughs> together and what they mean, uh, that sounds exactly like this time period. There, the, the other big thing I wanted to point out, there's a... Where is it? Uh, Carrie Ann Hurst has a solo record that came out in 2011. Carrie Ann Hurst is one half of Shovels and Rope. So this is oh, this okay. is before Shovels and Rope really takes off, though they had a record that came out in 2008, I want to say. But then Obi Joyful comes out in 2012, and that's that's a that's a really really big record for Americana in the teens, the 20 teens. <laughs> Tell us the danger but never encountered it 
So let's kind of refocus a little big bit back on John Moreland and this record in particular. So do you have any prior feelings or thoughts or just even like opinions on John Moreland prior to listening to this record? I had no idea who he was. Was the name familiar at all? Nope. Okay. So I recognize the name. One, because of Dave, primarily. Dave really loves John Moreland's music. He's a huge fan. Uh, being from Oklahoma, I sense that there's a, a little bit of a connection there as far as like being from Dave's state. So there's definitely an appreciation there, local hero. But the fact, too, that he has a Descendants connection. So. <laughs> so... John Moreland has his solo records. He has the Black Gold Band. He has this Dust Bowl Souls. He has more uh, solo records now, which are more traditional country folk acoustic singer-songwriter stuff. This is like full band rock and roll type stuff. He was uh, he contributed to The Seven Degrees of Stephen Egerton, if you remember that record, hmm. where every song was a different singer. He contributed uh, lyrics and his voice... He, Contributed lyrics to one song on that album, and he, he he contributed his voice to two songs on there. So Chad Price is on that record. John Snodgrass is on that record. So that's why my brain is always like, he's kind of one of those punk guys who does folk. Um, he's also contributed vocals to Austin Lucas's Between the Moon and the Midwest. Mm-hmm. He was featured on Shovels and Ropes' Busted Jukebox Volume 2 on okay. the song Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain. Oh, He's the singer on that one. I did not pay attention to the track listing on that (laughs) record. Uh, He played with Lucero and Jason Isbell live. Uh, He's been name-dropped by Rachel Maddow and Miranda Lambert. Like, they say they are fans of his music. Miranda Lambert, apparently, is, like, a really big fan of (laughs) John Moreland's music. He's had songs featured in Sons of Anarchy. He's had, like, three songs on that show. Okay. That would make sense. He, He has, you know... The punk connection's there. It makes sense now. Well, I discovered this, and this is probably my favorite thing. This actually collides our two worlds. So, he played guitar in a band called 30 Called Arson. I went to the Spotify page for that band, and one of the associated artists on that page was Embodiment. (laughs) Embodiment were a Texas death grind metalcore band on Solid State Records. That turned into an alternative rock band. It did, yeah. So Oklahoma, Texas, there's some connection there. I was like, okay, what? And then every other band on there was like a metal band or a metalcore band. So 30 Called Arson was a metalcore band on Pluto Records, which was a Texas record label. Hmm. So this is my favorite part. So that's how you connect. Like metalcore band from Oklahoma is probably playing shows with embodiment around the same time period. Totally makes sense. Then I looked into who it was in 30 Called Arson. Uh, 30 Called Arson features Aaron Kennedy, who played on Frail Words Collapse by Azalea Dying. He's oh. a guitarist on that record. Weird. One of the early guitarists on Azalea Dying stuff. Uh, he Louis DeBook, who is the synth artist, The Secret Handshake, which is a Triple Crown musician, uh, is also was also in that band. That band also features Steve Walden and Michael Williams, who are in this band. So this is kind of a reunion with his 30 called arson bandmates. So, do you know do you know who Michael Williams is? No. So not only was in the he in the Black Gold Band and he's on this record. He also contributes to John's solo record Hope Springs Eternal, Ephemeral, excuse me. Um he's also the lead singer of the Agony scene. What? <laughs> <laughs> Michael Williams is the lead singer of the Agony scene. And he plays guitar on this record. <laughs> no, actually plays bass. I think he's bass on this record. Sorry. Very weird. Yeah. So this is him. He comes from metalcore. Yeah. Metalcore turned... Country. Country. Interesting. <laughs> Michael Williams of the Agony Scene is on this record. Very. It was very funny. That's That was like the deep rabbit hole that I was just like, what? <laughs> It's happening. So, thanks, Dave. You actually accidentally connected us to our Christian music past again. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. I also think 30 Called Arson was a Christian band, too. Yeah. It was, like, their kind of their thing. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. My my prior feelings going into this record was I knew John Moreland as Dave 
is one artist that Dave really liked. I knew he was a singer songwriter with some possible punk connections. Um, and so I, when I was looking at the list of records that Dave sent us to choose from, I looked at, I looked at one of John Moreland's solo records is a uh, high on Tulsa heat was the album. And my initial thought was, eh, it's, uh, it's good, but it's just singer songwriter. So I don't know how I'm going to be able to talk about this entire thing. I have a hard time talking about like primarily acoustic singer songwriter stuff, just cause I, the emphasis in those kind of bands tends to be the lyrics and the voice, not so much the instrumentation. And I'm very much a, the instruments first guy. Like, even my approach to, like, vocals are the thing that makes me decide whether I'm going to like the band or dislike it. I'm also not really a lyrics guy. Like, I don't really pay attention to what lyri- what the singer is usually saying in the song as I'm listening to it. Um, I tend to treat the voice as just, like, another instrument on the album. And so it's just, I'm more focused on the tone and, like, just how they sing in general. So I was like, oh boy, I don't know how we're going to talk about an acoustic record. Thankfully, Dave was like, this isn't just a regular singer-songwriter record. And it's not. It, it is very much a full band, alt-country, heartland rock record. And um, I straight up loved this record. I was, this was like, this is extremely my shit. <laughs> yeah, I thought while I was listening to it, like, when Justin asks me how I feel about this record, I'm going to come in, I loved it! Um, <laughs> it's really good. It's, it's great it's um yeah it's 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 really good i i think that his songwriting is great i think that his i think that his lyrics i mean just on on one listen a lot of lyrics jumped out and grabbed me i think he's got some really interesting phrases and i actually want i do want to go through some of the songs and pick out some of those those lines and talk about them at some point uh on this Mm -hmm. episode but i i dig his voice he's got that husky husky kind of drawl to it i really love hearing a good country voice in a rock band i love it he reminds me a lot of trying to think of who his 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 voice reminds me of someone specifically but i'm i'm drawing a blank on who i mean chuck reagan a little bit yeah he's got that kind of tone i get a little wallflowers i get a little jacob dylan's voice yeah maybe it's more on the phrasing phrasing there's a little Sunvolt, little uh, yeah. Sunvolt in there. I mean, that, Uncle Tupelo very much, so I feel like it shines through on this record. Um, I think he was very, like I said earlier, he was very influenced by Steve Earle and Towns Van Zant. So those are the type of people he grew up on. There's, so, <laughs> on two tracks on here, his voice very much reminded me of someone we know personally. That's what it is. Holy Ghost Haunted and Gods, especially. He sounds like Joseph Downs. Yeah. He sounds like our friend Joey. He had his voice is more gruff than Joey's. We've we've talked about Joseph Downs before on here. He is a local to Hickory uh singer songwriter. He's also played in Doom bands in the area. But his his solo mu- music is singer songwriter acoustic primarily. I don't know, is it almost is it almost a lisp? Like it's Yeah, he's it's yeah, there's a little More bit like a, of the the sibilance on the tongue, yeah. Which again, another thing, I I like sibilant singers. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with it. You don't have to edit that shit out. <laughs> you don't have to DS the everything to where your voice sounds like a rubber band. It's fine <laughs> to have some some sibilance in your voice. <laughs> they didn't edit out Tom Petty's sibilance. He sounds fucking great. <laughs> <clears throat> And I do. I hear Tom Petty. I hear social distortion. I hear the replacements. I, I hear the replacements, especially on uh, Hounds of Youth. I was mm-hmm. like, that's just Bastards of Young. Like, it's it, it's that kind of song, you know? I hear High Water, which is a deep cut. The punk's doing country, like Crowbait and Timeshares. Like, I hear a little bit of that stuff. I very, very, very much enjoyed listening to this record. I was kind of nervous because I was part of me was like, well, Dave picked a record. What happens if I don't like it? Luckily, I didn't have to do that because I actually liked it. (laughs) That's always the scare whenever a guest picks a record. It's always like, well, it's a big deal for you, but I'm not familiar with that Senses Fail album. (laughs) Shout out to God Program. Yeah, this is um, no effort needed (laughs) to get into this one. pretty much got me and the first track was like all right this is 
is it's going to be just singer-songwriter, but it's like a very short little track. Uh, and then the first song, the band kicks in. I think I, I think I messaged you right away. I was like, oh, good, there's drums. <laughs> <laughs> appreciate singer songwriters with like good lyrics but i always want instrumentation more instrumentation than just voice and guitar Mm -hmm. so i i I appreciate the other musical elements of this band i especially really love those how much of the guitar playing is just like way down first position cowboy chords through a distorted amp I, i love that sound it reminds me of Husker Du, even like Bob Mold. It's it's all just like right there, right by the nut. Just there's something that happens harmonically to chords played in first position that it might be easier to borrow the chord further up the neck, and that's more of what you associate with like rock music is power chords. But those those fully formed chords, all six strings ringing out, I, I love that. It's kind of a mess, and you have to really pay attention to get all of the little details of it but really punches you in the face and i I love that sound staying on the guitar work like there there are there are these big crunchy guitar riffs that like every time he hits one of those like palm muted little like one of those i'm just like hell yeah i i love a good like punk is essentially very palm mute heavy and then when he's doing it on a country and it happens on a country record or an alt country record i'm like uh, it's extremely in a lane that i love but then even like some of the solos on this record are just like or the leads because there's never like a true i guess there's maybe like one solo that really stands out to me i'm trying to see which track it's on low low has a good twangy solo towards the end of the song what i really really liked about this was like those like real subtle harmonies that are on here like there's I think that's Mike Williams doing those harmonies as well. They're not super loud. They're like they're low enough to the point where I thought maybe it was layered, but because there are some like vocal credits on here for the other guys, it was just like, okay, this is just like a real light uh, backing like harmony that goes along with it. And like I, I really loves how love how it sounds in like Young Love, Lost in a Flood, and Christmas Lights. Uh, I think Christmas Lights might be my favorite song on the album. Yeah, Christmas Lights is really, really good. <clears throat> yeah, that, that's definitely one of the best songs on the record. I I, um, I like a lot of the ways that he weaves a lot of the same themes throughout the record. One of the big themes is definitely Christianity. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's definitely like a kind of a God-haunted record, I guess you would call it, um, to use the more, like, academic term for a post-Christian, uh, like, not necessarily atheist, but kind of agnostic. I get the impression that he's that he's agnostic from a lot of these lyrics. Um, I mean, there's a song called Holy Ghost Haunted on here. Yeah. Followed by a song called Gods, followed by a song called Christian Rock. <laughs> yeah. Christian Rock was... That has the really good line about... I'll just read this whole verse, because I think it's great. Sometimes I feel like a fool in love, put on trial by Cool Kids Club, and then I wondered how I got the way I am, trying to fit the pieces in the puzzle. Remember the girls who acted untouchable because they dated singers in Christian rock bands? I just I just love that dated singers in Christian rock bands line. <laughs> <laughs> the album does a good job, too, with not overstaying its welcome. 
Like, it's a 29-minute record. Like, that's the perfect length for this kind of album. Like, because this record is also very roots-driven, that type of sound has a habit of becoming samey. And this album does a good job of making sure to break it up in a way that, like, it avoids being samey. There is a point on the album where it, it kind of, like, gets me to, like, oh, it's it blended too quick into the next song, and I wasn't, like... Like, it's one of those ones where, like, it changed songs and you didn't realize it. Like, the transition from Christian Rock to Christmas Lights, they, like, end and start such a similar way that, like, if it wasn't for the chorus on Christmas Lights that, like, you know jolts you back to paying attention that would probably be one of the weakest transitions because then he sprinkles in like the acoustic tracks like after that is the acoustic song with like the harmonica and like the springsteen style lyrics you know about being 17 (laughs) but then like gods is an acoustic track the album starts with an acoustic track that merges immediately right into low so like it it did the sequencing perfect like sequencing is crucial and they like nailed it on this one yeah. Uh, <clears throat> once I kind of had an idea of like, okay, this is like, this works with many of the colors in my go-to palette for music. Uh, twangy, crunchy, um, down-to-earth themes. It's not centered on a, how should I, how can you describe confessional emo lyrics? <laughs> Self-centered. Mm-hmm. It's it's coming from the perspective of someone who has lived <laughs> mm-hmm. and seen a bit of the country, knows what it's like to live in a shitty place, mm-hmm. and love it. He, there was an article I was reading with him in 2017. That's where I was reading the Miranda Lambert like was a big fan of his lyrics. Like she mm-hmm. said that he writes songs in a way that like connects to her very much. So. That article was also talking about it being like his music is sad bastard music, but and then on the and around that time he was like I'm tired of playing sad bastard music. I want to play upbeat happy music. So he made like a switch lyrically going forward from there. I don't get the sad bastard music. I mean, there's definitely some heartache in here. There's definitely some you feel it the down parts. Well, it's it's not like I, I mean it's not wallowing in it. Like I feel mm-hmm. like it's. I, I feel like it's an honest reflection of where you are as a person, and yeah, I wouldn't just call it sad bastard music. It's, I mean, that's a lot of country music anyway. So <laughs> I, I feel like you you are trained to go into country music, and this is not always true. I mean, this is maybe kind of a misconception of country music, but you're definitely kind of expected to go into anything country or country adjacent with an expectation of some melancholy and that's there but it's not like it's not like a put on and it's certainly not like you get the sense from a lot of these lyrics that he's earned the right to be somewhat melancholic it's not melodramatic but yeah i don't know i i think it helps also that i'm i listen to this record as I'm trying to start a band again (laughs) (laughs) and going through this process of trying to convince people to listen to your music, just trying to convince other musicians to listen to your music, (laughs) which is very frustrating and brings out all of your, if you have any lack of confidence, it's, it's going to really hammer that and bring out all of your uh, imposter syndrome tendencies. <laughs> so uh, listening to this record, I listened to this record at a moment where I was particularly uh, feeling mopey about not hearing back from some other musicians who I have submitted demos to. Come on, man, I heard your old band. <laughs> I was going to say, though, you're also um, sending music to craigslist reply guys too who i'm betting yeah. reply to everyone yeah. so <laughs> but uh there so there there were some lyrics on this record that particularly hit me in that spot especially on the song low the second track that there's the line getting by on principle i killed that dream years ago that's whoo that's a knife in the gut <laughs> sick of being tired on the on the next track young love lost in in a flood 
sick of being tired and tired of being lonely. I believed all that bullshit that rock and roll sold me. <laughs> I don't know. He's got, he's got some really, really sharp lyrics. Um, I like the way that he operates within the kind of hackneyed expressions of country and rock and roll and works within the familiarity of those phrases and terminology. It's very Springsteen, very Springsteen to do this, to take those things and still direct them to a earnest and poignant place and true human feelings and emotions. And it's not all like bullshit, swagger, like chest beating rock and roll. It's it's finding something significant and meaningful in in that sound and in those kind of teenage ambitions. <laughs> I don't know. I really, really enjoyed this record. I will definitely come back to it. I will definitely listen to more of his music. Yeah, I gave a sample to some of his earlier ba- the earlier band, the Black Gold Band, and uh, that one felt a little more. I felt more social D more Bruce Springsteen, and even more John Cougar Mellencamp on that one. Like, there's definitely that type of songwriting more in that version of the band. This, I got the stronger Uncle Tupelo stuff, your Tom Petty, your Chuck Reagan. Yeah, I definitely was just like, this is good. Like, from the second it transitions from everything the hard way to low, I was like, oh, we're doing this. (laughs) So I was very much like... Uh, I, this is extremely something I want to hear more of. His his solo records are more singer songwriter, more like traditional country. There's more instrumentation than just like just an acoustic guitar on those albums too. So there's a lot more for me to grab onto to listen to as well. Okay, I'm gonna read a few more lyrics because <laughs> this <laughs> town tonight has is stacked with really good ones um, that I I think uh, very very clearly illuminate what res what resonated with me about this record and also just i just really like the way he works with familiar phrases to say something meaningful but it's uh, the the song this town tonight which musically reminds me a lot of like uh nobody's darlings uh lucero kind of kind of the heavier ro- more rock rock and roll lucero stuff but i mean thematically it's about playing music and wondering if you should give up on the dream of playing music. But I I really, really like the line, live like the night is almost over, play your guitar with a chip on your shoulder. And there's there's a little bridge where he says, my generation, the boys in bands who became bartenders and sold the vans. I feel that. (laughs) (laughs) As a about-to-be-31-year-old working in restaurants, very much with a chip on my shoulder, (laughs) trying to play music, and wondering if i should quit (laughs) well we've had guests on this show who are in bands and they still work in restaurants so i wouldn't worry too much about (laughs) that part of things (laughs) oh yeah and we've talked to a lot of people who have not hit their stride until now in their 30s the same age i'm infinitely inspired by um elise from oceanator who i've mentioned we've talked about many many times before how much we love her she's like 34 right I mean, yeah, well, that was like last year, but yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> anyway, there's hope for me. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> uh, so anyway, not to make this record about me, but <laughs> I found a lot to personally relate to on this record. And that's a big part of what endeared me to it. And I'm very excited to hear what Dave has to say about this record because we're recording mm-hmm. this before... He's had the chance to do his part. Yeah. Um, we'll probably have already played it by this point. Because uh, I want, I kind of want to get a... Re- well, or should we put it at... I don't know. I want people to hear Dave's take, too. Because, you know, podcast drop-off ten- is a real thing. So I don't want to put him at the end. So I'll put him at the front before we really get into our opinion section. So I want to know why he picked it specifically. I mean, he didn't pick it specifically. He gave us 19 albums to choose from. <laughs> and then we gave him two choices. <laughs> And even then, I had to make that final say for him. <laughs> but yeah, um, I feel like I have exhausted everything I can say. I'm very happy with how our first purchased episode <laughs> go, has gone uh, so far. 
you know, going forward, you never know. It might be something where we're going to be like, oh, uh, yeah, it's good. <laughs> but we'll always give you our honest opinion. We, we, even if we don't like it, I don't think we're going to dunk on it. So, <laughs> yes, thank you so much, uh, Dave, for choosing that Patreon tier and uh, supporting us. You've, Dave is one of our first patrons, so we we're eternally grateful. Yes, thank you very much for Dave. him. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and you can find his blog. It's Oklahoma Lefty. You should check it out. I'll include a link to it. He's a really brilliant writer. He's also written about this album, too, so definitely worth mentioning. Um, and his podcast. He's only done a couple episodes of it. Sacred Panels. Very good. Very well done. Put together. Pod- his show sounds better than our show most of the time, so he uh, he puts in the work, too. And I think that'll do it for us. We did all the plugs up top. To go off of the way we typically wrap our show, we usually ask our guests to shout out a nonprofit or organization uh, that gives back to the community. We always want to stress that on our show. So I'm going to take this opportunity to shout out something that is very, very important locally here in Arizona that doesn't really get enough attention it's not being talked about enough even here within our local politics uh but it's specifically the uh save oak flat movement this is and we'll post some links to it but uh this is relating to water quality um and preservation of uh, a sacred place for the i want to say the apache i should look that up but basically there are currently two bills uh to go to Congress um, in an effort to preserve this indigenous sacred land, um, which is under the threat of mining operations in Arizona. Arizona, our governor is opposed to this movement. Kristen Sinema, one of our two Democrat senators, is opposed to this movement. Mark Kelly, our other senator, has not weighed in on this. Yeah, there are ways that you can contribute Financially, you can support the Apache Stronghold, which is an organization seeking to preserve this this holy site. So we'll post links to that. And that's and branching off of that, I, I do want to speak specifically to this cause in any place in the country. I mean, this is I mean it's there's a constant threat against sacred spaces for indigenous people. There's probably something local to you that you can be involved with. Arizona has quite a few of these issues. Border wall still under construction, thanks Joe Biden, uh, through sacred uh, Odom land in southern Arizona. Of course, you're probably familiar with what's going on in the Dakotas uh, with pipelines and things like that. So, did I mean, the week we're recording this, they actually uh, announced that they abandoned the XL pipeline. Yeah, I did see that. So, thanks. Thanks to the work of activists. That yes. is 100% activists did that. Yes, that is direct action. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So please, please look into the needs of the indigenous community in the area that you live in. Please familiarize yourself with those those people. Look into ways that you can encourage your local government to contribute to reparations and land back initiatives for indigenous people. It's something that only ever gets talked about by the left on Columbus Day and Thanksgiving. It is a constant issue. It's, yeah, something that sticks out to me as not getting enough support from the left. Yep, very good. We'll include links to that in the show notes. I think this was a success. I very much enjoyed doing this. Um, I want more. Please do more. Please, I mean, Dave, you can keep that one if you want. I guess I'll add another one, but <laughs> to the tier. Definitely want more of this. We, we, This is really fun. I really enjoyed this process. And, uh, yeah, it's over on Patreon. It's $10 right now. I'll keep it at $10 for a while. I don't see the need for jumping it up yet. So um, now if I start getting, like, too many or, like, someone gets on it and doesn't want to let it go... <laughs> Maybe I'll raise the price then, but as for now, uh, we'll keep it at $10 for the time being. So please give that a look and think about. And uh, yeah, that'll do it for us. Thank you for listening. Thank you.